0: Good day, fellow hoteliers, and welcome to episode 252 of the Hotel Marketing Podcast. My name is Pete DeMayo, and along with Alyssa, Jeremy, and Christy, we're going to dive into the world of email marketing and uncover and share with you some of the top trends for 2024. It's going to be a pretty baller show, so let's go ahead and get this thing started. And now we're back. So it's been a while since we've had a a recording. Everyone has been sick and coughing and hacking everything up. Uh, Jeremy, you're surviving right now, right?
1: Yeah, I'm praying. I don't know if I will survive, but I am surviving at the moment.
0: Okay. So it's going through your house at least. though. Yes. And I know, Alyssa, you are somewhat on the men's.
2: Honestly, I'm just surprised that my immune system can take any more.
0: Yeah, it's been brutal. So I know that you're a little quiet now, but that's just because you guys have been coughing up the black lung and all the other kind of stuff that you're having to deal with up there in Pennsylvania. But we also have a new member of the Boom Squad. It's Christy. Hey.
2: Hi.
0: Welcome to the team. So you joined us at the very beginning of the year as one of our new account managers. Uh, So trick question, how are you enjoying it so far? Um, I love it. It's definitely a change of pace, but so far so good. Nice. Well, cool. We're glad to glad to have you, and also really excited to have you on the podcast to kind of hang in there and kind of see what it's all about. So feel free to jump in as much as you like, or just kind of sit back there and listen and soak it all in. But uh, yeah, we got. I think we got a Sounds pretty good. Episode. good. Yeah, so I think we got a pretty good episode today. Alyssa, you wrote a pretty awesome article about the top hotel trends in email marketing that we're going to cover. But before we do that, we have to jump into my favorite segment, the news.
1: So New York enjoyed the highest December occupancy of any top 25 market in the U.S., Um, At 87% according to STR, but that spike seemed to coincide with a plummeting availability of short-term rentals of 30 days or fewer, Um, which went from 13,500 listings in August to just under 3,000 in December. So this is, there's a new local law, local law 18 in New York City, that's really driving Airbnb specifically um, up a wall.
0: Yeah. It, it's pretty straight up crazy. Uh, one, that it's called Law 18, which suggests that there's only 17 other laws in New York, which I don't know if that's accurate or not. So I think they're I think they fudging the numbers a little bit on that one. But So this is what that law says. It says, if you have a short-term rental, one, no more than two paying guests can stay in a short-term rental at any given time, no matter the size of the dwelling or the number of bedrooms. So if you have a a 10-bedroom penthouse, you can have two guests staying in there. Number two, the host has to be physically present while the property is being rented. And then number three, the host and visitors must leave the doors inside the dwelling unlocked so that the occupants can access the entire unit, which is pretty crazy. I mean, if you guys have ever used an Airbnb, v- Vrbo, whatever it might be, there's always that one mystery room that everybody tries to break into that has all probably the cool stuff it's Where that we they don't hide get the bodies.
2: Use.
0: Exactly. So <laughs> the non-paying renters. But it's it's a pretty it's a pretty punitive rule if you have a a rental property. First of all, you really can't rent it for less than 30 days, which takes 99% of the inventory out of play. And then with these three kind of caveats to having a short term rental it does make it pretty difficult to use it as a, a business and not as literally sharing a bedroom with, you know, having someone come in and, and rent a spare bedroom for a couple of days. So, so, you know, so with that being said, I mean, it, it was, it created a really big boom for the hotel space because all of a sudden you had, you know, tens of thousands of inventory units of inventory that just disappeared from the market. So as a result, you saw, ADRs increase significantly. I think they said it went up 11% and Revpar went up almost 16% in just December alone for, for New York city, which is quite crazy.
2: Yeah. I feel like this is hugely unfair from a, from a business perspective. If you've invested in a rental property, I could imagine that we see a lot of these uh, homes foreclosing or properties that people are owning that we're maybe counting on that short-term rental revenue um, to float their mortgage. But also yeah. I don't want to stay in a New York hotel. Have you stayed in a New York hotel?
0: They're small.
2: They're so gross too. And they're, <laughs> you're spending like hundreds of dollars and like you don't even want to touch the sheets. And the convenience of an Airbnb, I feel like New York is doing such a disservice to its visitors. I would honestly, imagine that maybe people would just go elsewhere.
0: It's it's interesting. I mean, when you figure the average, that the article here in Travel Weekly mentions that the average rate is $393. So right at $400 a night for a hotel night. Whereas even if that you had a comparable ADR for a vacation rental, you're getting a much better experience. And it does seem like, I don't know if it's the hotel lobby or, you know, where that law kind of originated from, but it it definitely, like you said, it, it's going to kill any independent who's running some vacation rentals.
2: Yeah, I want to know the purpose of this because the conspiracy theorist in me is like, all right, the hotels are giving a percentage to the government now.
0: Well, isn't that where it all kind of began years ago, like with, you know, the vacation rentals is that they didn't have to pay accommodations tax and there's a lot of you know cost savings that a vacation rental could offer that you couldn't get at a hotel you know so i feel like you know one they found a way to make sure that you're getting the a tax but then two now they're just more or less shutting down airbnb verbo and everybody else within the city
2: yeah and then the comment about other cities calling to replicate it
0: well that's the scary part too i mean it if you own, let's say you're a, you know, a couple who owns a single unit in a single city, you could find, like you said, find yourself on the, you know, verge of foreclosure because all of a sudden you have a property that is unrentable. You got to sell it, but now everybody who has those units as well, got to put them on the market as well yeah, too. So what, what's going to happen? A huge
2: domino effect. And a lot of people yeah. have utilized just a chunk of savings to invest in multiple properties for a, a, an ongoing revenue stream. But on the flip side of that, some, this is some, how some people afford their vacation home. Like maybe they go twice a year, but they rent it out the remainder of the year. So it's also mm-hmm. a benefit to them.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm not sure specifically where are kind of, just kind of pugnificating or whatever it is on this, but I would see like, if you, owned your home and the next door unit was a vacation rental, that would get pretty frustrating, especially if they're having parties or they're in and out all hours of the night, you know, more people there that parking can accommodate. We get frustrating. So I'm assuming part of that is residents pushing it. But then the other part is too, anytime you can increase your rev par by 16% by shutting out an entire segment of the, the market, it's, it's a big, big deal for hotels, for sure.
2: Yeah, it's also skewed, in my opinion, because that's December data. And mm-hmm. December is a, a large travel month for New York City. Obviously, people travel to New York City all the time, right? But the holidays in New York City, especially, are, are popular.
0: Yeah, the data doesn't say if it's year-over-year data, which I would assume that it would be.
2: I, but the one thing that's inter- I interpreted it as month-over-month.
0: Okay. That makes sense. But if you look at, you know, also in here, it says that the national RevPar saw an increase of 0.3%. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, I think New York obviously is a massive, you know, Christmas destination, but still, you know, when the, the nation increases by 0.3% and they're up 16% says, you know, wow, that's a, that's a big change.
2: Yeah. I'm interested to see what comes of it long-term.
0: It'll be interesting, especially the the real estate market, which is already, you know, in some cases struggling. Is that going to be even a bigger problem moving forward? But yeah, so that is the news item of today. So something for us to watch out on for sure. uh, And we'll kind of keep everybody up to date on that one. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think we're gonna go ahead and dive into the main topic, which is the top email trends for 2024 for hotels. Mm -hmm. So Alyssa, this is, this is your article. This is kind of like your baby that you wrote here, but every year I think the same topic comes up when we're doing budgeting and that is, is email marketing still a viable strategy? And the answer is always going to be yes, yes, yes. It is going to, it should be your number one performing or at one of the top performing channels that you have. 4.5 billion people will be actively using and engaging in email in 2024 And at the end of the day, it is one of the very few channels that you can use that you can proactively reach out to your past guest and people are interested in your property and not something where you have to rely on your guest starting that process to find you. You can actually reach out and give them a great opportunity. So if you're ever on the fence about email, I would say look at your analytics and make sure you're making a smart choice and not a knee-jerk reaction because – Yeah, when we're talking to clients, it is the first thing we look at if you're having a hard time filling rooms is okay, what is your email strategy? Are you doing everything you can to create that great relationship with your your past guest and your email database? So with that, I think we we came up with or sorry, not we necessarily, Alyssa came up with a lot of different things that you know we see in the business. That we think will help hoteliers in general. So you can get that full article. if You go to the show notes at travelboommarketing.com podcast. We'll have a link to it. Or you can just go to slash blog slash email marketing trends and get the full scope of everything that we're talking about. We're going to slice and dice it a little bit just for the sake of the podcast. But with that being said, Alyssa, do you kind of want to share a little bit about your smartiness when you wrote this?
2: Sure. So all good points. And I wanted to add a few additional points to that just about email marketing as a channel. Um, Obviously we know that nearly everyone utilizes email heavily. Um, so that can present a challenge of not being able to stand out. So a lot of the trends that we're going to talk about today are to kind of help you stand out amongst the crowd and this oversaturated uh, channel or market. Um, but on the more positive side, email is a fairly economical choice for someone with a smaller budget. And I would dare say that it's much easier um than other channels as far as mastering it or how how to use it learning how to use it Uh, a lot of platforms now offer templates and so forth that you can kind of just follow along with uh, and teach yourself so if you're not utilizing your platform to its full potential you should be Uh, a lot of times i've seen live chats and support articles and how-to videos that are offered when you do sign up with a specific CRM. So take advantage of what your platform has to offer and implement some of these trends today. And then, you know, reach back out, let us know if you've seen an uptick in your metrics. Uh, Yeah.
0: And that's a good point. We really didn't talk much about that in you in our topic for on the article itself, but most cases, the email platform that you're using is already more powerful than the tools that you're putting to use so looking into that and say hey oh i didn't realize i could do this this was available that was available you know by by digging into it fully you will be able to improve your conversion rate and revenue that you generate from any given email campaign
2: yeah absolutely the software has already done the work uh so you just have to take advantage of it but with that, uh, I have a first trend and it's focusing more on the message and not just the volume. Oftentimes we have clients that have large lists and someone on the list may not have opened an email in a very long time, a year, two years, three years, however long that your you know, purchase cycle might be. Uh, you wanna look at that and focus on the message and not just the volume that you're sending. Uh, Tell a story. So storytelling is going to be a trend that continues in 2024 and offers readers an emotional connection. You can expect it to include visuals. Um, Whether it's one well-executed email, it could be short, it could be long, um, or a drip campaign, the payoff is a more engaged audience. So the more engaged your audience is, the better your email performance is going to be. Uh, incorporating user-generated content in in your message. Uh, That approach uses guest photos or reviews in your email. Uh, And this really also resonates better with with guests or visitors. So messages that feature user-generated content uh, resonate better because of the authenticity and personal voice that they offer. Um, So this would be also a potential opportunity to reuse influencer content um, I know, you know, we haven't seen a ton of influencer marketing for hotels, but it is is relevant and it is out there. So reusing some of that content they may have created on other platforms within the email is going to help uh, bridge the connection. Uh, and creating more interactive content. So we said boring text-heavy emails are out. I don't think they've ever been in, uh, but exciting content is in. So if you're considering actual effects like rollovers or animated buttons, um, the the old lady and me disagrees with this a little bit, but we've we've seen the data, so it does work. Uh, I would say consider when you're adding interactive content to your email, Look at it as a user and slow it down just a little bit. I do enjoy interactive content in product emails, but sometimes they're so fast that I'm, I'm like, what was that? I want to see it again. How do I see it again? Uh, so when subscribers engage with that text or image uh, directly in the body of the email, they're more likely to click through to your website, which is the ultimate goal, right? We want them to click through to your website and either make a purchase, make a booking, um, fill out a form, whatever your goal might be. Um, Additional examples of some interactive content from a hotel may include maybe an image carousel, showing off a destination, so kind of mimicking those carousels that you see on social media that people interact with, a video about a new service that you might offer, or maybe even a poll for guests to choose their favorite amenity during their stay, or if you're making improvements on property, um, a poll to see what you should spend money on. where you might also consider using AI in your emails. Uh, A lot of these platforms are already using AI to kind of drive some of the decision-making process and uh, other features that they offer. Um, But Jeremy can tell us a little bit more about using AI in emails.
0: Yeah, that's kind of before we kind of jump over, I think fully on the, the AI side. It, everybody's property has a personality and when your emails are dry and they don't incorporate all the fun stuff at a property and typically we're talking about a vacation destination resorts places that are fun to be and yet your email is just blah it doesn't really do that i think you're missing a huge opportunity because you know, we know people in that planning cycle, it's very aspirational. They want to travel. They, they want to know about the property more. It's almost more fun to plan a vacation than to go on it yourself. You're, you're literally, you're living it and you're getting all excited about it and your email should be doing that same thing. So create that great story of, you know, if it is UGC, if it's like you said, influencer content, if whatever it might be to really put the user in the room, in the pool, at the property you're going to get people excited. And if you do that, they're going to be taking that next step.
2: Yeah. And I briefly mentioned with influencer marketing, reutilizing the content in the email versus, you know, you typically see that on social media, but that would apply to other investments as well. So if you're investing in drone footage or a video that you're creating about your property for some other platform, a TV advertisement, Maybe, maybe you have a large budget and you're creating something for a TV advertisement, break it up and when they're editing it, create smaller pieces or, or different images, different angles that would be used to tell a better story or improve the message in your email. Um, so consider, you know, if you're doing a photo shoot for your website, consider, okay, we want to use these across all platforms. How can we really expand upon this to, to make it more versatile?
1: Yeah, and I'd say, too, that you can really kill two birds with one stone with this with, you know, based on, you know, what leads to higher engagement. And, you know, you're going to see quicker results when you're using email based on, you know, what is engaging more to your guests and what isn't and using that information to as a guideline to maybe the content that you're building on your website or even taking the content that's doing really well on your website and using that in your emails Know, just kind of a, a way to you know, use both platforms um, you know like sort of like almost like cross-platform kind of marketing in that in that sense
0: yeah it doesn't have to, nothing that you do should be siloed you know if there's a great piece of content on your site you promote that via email and you know use email to drive more of the traffic to get the full story you know a lot of times there's so much thing so much that you can do with the email that is easy to do yet hotelers aren't doing it You know, really simple example is, you know, a lot of times video is not always a possibility, but a simple animated GIF that will lead the user to watch a video is something anybody can do. And it's also something that is compatible across pretty much all email platforms. Outlook and Microsoft are always a pain in the butt when it comes to you know, email renderings and whatnot and kind of what you can versus can't do. It's supposed to like a web-based Gmail or something else. So, you know, push the limits on what you can do is it's so huge to get the guests to actually pay attention to what you're talking about. But, yeah, so there's a whole bunch that you can do from a storytelling perspective. I guess that's the first one, right, is just tell a good story. People will listen. Uh, and if you can, make it all personal with AI. AI,
1: AI, AI. AI, AI. <laughs> so, yeah, so our second trend, at least for this podcast, is personalizing your emails with AI. Um, so, obviously, AI is the hot topic over the past year and a half or so. Um, and really, AI within the email space really isn't new um, in terms of some of the uh, topics or the suggestions that we'll go over. Um, but, you know, kind of, it's kind of looking past. Know, the chat GPTs or the co-pilots or Gemini's to just create uh, unique or just, you know, helping you to create content that's personalized to the guests that you're sending to, which is great. I mean, you should try that and test it. Um, but the way I really see this personalization with AI is more about making your decision-making smarter and more efficient. Um, and that starts with sophisticated segmentation. Um, where essentially AI can identify shopper characteristics or behaviors, or maybe past shopping trends, uh, to create specific user groups uh, more efficiently. That you no, know, would be harder to do if obviously way harder to do if you were just going to do it manually. Um, and that and that <clears throat> segmentation is going to obviously help you with the type of like we talk like we talked about the type of storytelling that you're going to uh, make specific to a certain group of people that you're going to send those emails to. Um, also automated emails, which are huge. I mean, I know we talk about that a lot. AI helping with automatic uh, workflows to send messages to customers, you know, based on where they are within the shopping or guest journey, uh, like, pre-ali- like pre-ali- pre-arrival like pre emails or post-day emails, um, which are typically pretty common in terms of automated emails. Uh, but that's a- another <clears throat> opportunity with AI personalization. Um, And then aside from that, also predictive analytics. Um, So instead of relying on data to schedule email distribution, um, AI powered predictions uh, for variables such as optimal send times or uh, audience behavior. Um, So helping marketers target the right customers at the right time essentially with predictive analytics, helping you determine when should I send, when's the best time to send this email? Um, What type of audience should I be sending this email to? where I think I'm gonna get better results. Um, and then lastly, um, A-B testing, which is a good trend for all all channels, but email is definitely gonna be included there. So artificial intelligence, um, taking some of the workload um, off of A-B testing when you're using AI, um, you know, suggesting new uh, email subject lines or maybe the different types of send lines or different types of audiences that you're sending your emails to or just ways that AI tools can help you analyze and. Uh, recap the success of those
0: tests. Any email platform can do that, at least least the A-B testing part. And I think it's a big miss for any hotelier to create an email, pull a subject line out of thin air, and press send. It is so, so, so easy to say, I want to send this to 30% of my audience between two A-B tests and the winning version goes to the full database. That stuff is so easy to do. And it creates a base of knowledge that you can use to improve all your future subject line testing. Uh, Using emojis versus not using, you know, a uniform intro to your subject lines, whatever it might be, you can test that stuff and make it work really, really well. And it doesn't take much time. So I think it's, it's a real miss if you don't do that.
2: Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, we're still considering the goal of engagement or increasing engagement. Email service providers are smart, right? If, if they know that I've interacted with your, your email or engaged with your email, opened it, clicked it, had it open for a certain period of time, are more likely to show at the top of my inbox versus in my spam folder. So anything that you can do to improve engagement uh, so using these AI techniques to improve engagement is going to help your performance.
0: Yeah. You know, I think in general, if you look at retail, if you look at e they do such a better job with that of really seeing what their consumers want and creating individualized paths that optimize their email performance. Hoteliers for some reason I've not seen a hotelier who has done a phenomenal job with with the email side because it, it does take a lot of work to set up a lot of those emails and AI automations and kind of segmentations and all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is is once it's set up, I don't want to say set it and forget it, but it's, it's one of those things that will continually run while you're doing all the other things that you have to do on a daily basis from a marketing perspective. You go in there, you make sure everything is working good, you tweak it, you make sure it's still... Functioning the way, way you expect, but if you do that, I think you will absolutely see massive improvements.
2: Yeah, it's a one-time investment for a long-term payoff, in my opinion. Um, not to say you never revisit it, but you know you're not in there daily, even weekly, and you do see revenue from it. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think considering ecom versus. Booking a vacation or an experience is so vastly different because the purchase cycle is just so different. Um, You know, if I get hit with the same email enough times for the pair of shoes that I looked at, I'm going to (laughs) buy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, planning a vacation and purchasing a vacation is just so drastically different. But we still see hundreds of thousands of dollars generated via email for hotels annually. So, There are people
0: that do it. Well, I mean, look at it this way. That longer cycle is a great opportunity, particularly if you have your analytics on point. You know, your email platform and those tools should know if someone visited your website. Right. That is a trigger to send a message. So getting that integration complete where someone visits the website and then they look at the angle oceanfront two-bedroom suite, they should probably be getting an email if they haven't completed the booking to come back and check out this angle oceanfront two bedroom suite that we now have for sale at whatever the rate might be. You have so much data on your traveler. If you're not using it and proactively reaching out to them, once they literally visit your website or engage with you from a social perspective, wherever it is, you're just missing out.
2: Yeah. You're leaving money on the table at that
0: point. Yeah. Can I say that a hotel you should hang their head in shame, Alyssa?
2: sure no (laughs) at least everyone knows you said it and not me
0: yeah (laughs) i i got scolded for using that in a a study that we're working on but i still still think it's true if you're if you're messing up we should have them hang their head in shame i don't know maybe wear a sign around their neck or something that says i don't do email marketing gooder (laughs) something like that anyway so next one we had on the list was something I think is super important that people don't pay enough attention to. And that is the security side of emails. This is becoming, well, Google, uh, Microsoft, Yahoo messaging, um, Microsoft, they're all going to a much more stringent authentication process. And that might be through your email SPF records, your DKIM or even more advanced is the DMARC type records that your emails need to have set up. And that can get a little bit technical, but more or less there's going to be a little token that you grab from your email platform. You put that on your domain or uh, on your uh, DNS record for your uh, domain. And that's going to say, Hey, the email that is getting sent from hotel a is actually coming from the physical website of hotel a as well. That's going to let you get through more of the spam filters. That's going to let you have a better deliverability rate, gets you into the right inbox leads to better open rates and everything else. So of all the things that we talk about when, you know, we said it's something that you invest one time and is done. That's what this one is. Make sure now that a lot of these, uh, rules went in place in late 2023, Making sure that you have the proper email authentication is going to be, in my opinion, the easiest way to improve email performance because simply it will get into the inbox. Uh, Beyond that, I think also, you know, obviously the security is important, but looking at the best practices of your unsubscribe rate, your spam rate, your engagement, all that kind of stuff helps the ISPs or uh, email service providers, should I say. Decide if your email is worthy of taking up the space on the inbox for a consumer. If your spam rate's high, if your unsubscribe rate's high, you may have the best offer in the world for hotel rooms for 99 cents, but nobody's going to see it because it never gets past the layers and layers of spam protections that most email platforms have.
2: Yes. And ESPs have made a lot of feature updates over the past year or so. Um, Just recently, this is, is, Probably not brand new but just recently I noticed this in my own personal inbox um, that you do not have to click through to unsubscribe anymore I am a, I'm a huge uh, fan of reporting people for spam not our clients obviously but I get a lot of spam emails I'm like where did you get my dang email address so I'm like I'm hitting the spam button on you and then Google so I have Gmail for personal uh, accounts it's like hey are you sure you want to report them to spam or do you just want to unsubscribe Um, which is a fair question so i'm like okay you can unsubscribe me so it minimizes the amount of clicks that i have to get through to remove myself from someone's database which is is great because you know then you're minimizing your spam reports and you're not preventing someone from making it into your inbox or someone else's inbox really, if they had enough spam reports. Um, so I think it's fair and it's very user friendly. So do you feel,
0: own... do you feel that you use that? Like are you trigger happy with that? Or are you like, I may have subscribed to this one no, and then you first I try to unsubscribe subscribe
2: to a lot of these things. If it's like a clothing brand or something, I'll keep it. Um, And then oftentimes I will go through the process of just like truly unsubscribing from someone's email database. And I'll use an example from Myrtle Beach. I I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but I'm going to call them from Cormac. They had my email address from visiting. And uh, if if you don't know what that is, they sell guns and have a simulator and, I've unsubscribed probably three different times and I still get emails from them pretty regularly. There I
1: was going to say sense. that for, for me, that is always the thing I notice most is that that unsubscribe method does not exist for I'm not saying for hotels, but for it seems like for a lot of other businesses where I unsubscribe and I just know that I'm seeing those emails come back through like a week later.
2: Yeah. I'm like,
0: or longer. I,
2: I went through the process, like stop emailing me then I'm going to report you to spam just because I'm pissed off at that point.
0: Cause here's the thing. That is a real time process. Like if you, yeah, I do, you know, immediate. command F type in unsub. I find it, I click it. I expect never to get an email again. That says, Unless it's like an, are up. you
2: sure? Do you want to come back? If a messaging is, is there? Yes, that will annoy me, but at least they got the message.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't make you feel good like you want to do business with a company again when you say, hey, stop it. And they're like, oh, we don't care what you think. Come on back. But, yeah, so security is important. I think that's going to be one of those trends that continues to really be harped on this year simply because it's getting more and more arduous to make sure that your emails are getting through. And if you're not paying attention, you could be doing a lot of work, spending a lot of investment that you're not ever getting to the consumer.
1: Yeah, I'd say that as far as these, as this, you know, prioritizing email security is, as it goes, you know, that this kind of does go hand in hand as well with personalization with AI. I mean, you know, having a list of your email or your email list that have not really have not responded or have not interacted with your emails within like a certain period of time. Um, And maybe for hotels, it is going to be a little bit different because that process is different than a typical Mm e-commerce site. But That's very true. But, I mean, having that list and, you know, maybe reaching out, if it's it's been a while and they haven't really interacted with any of your promos or anything or your stories that you're sending and having, you know, just if, if that's something that they're not interested in or something, you know, it may be time for you to actively go through and look at, you know, are these... Is it worth sending these emails to so and so if they're not really engaging or have any really any want to do with our our email sends?
2: Yeah, and while I did say that email was a more economical or cheaper option, uh, you are paying for sends. So removing people that aren't opening your emails or actively engaging with them is going to also save you a bit of money, in the back end.
0: For sure. You know, from there, I think the next thing is making sure that people can see your emails on all devices.
2: Yeah, this one is pretty straightforward. Uh, We know that mobile is, you know, mobiles first, mobile matters. Uh, We have a stat here that says 85% of users are consuming emails on mobile devices, which (sighs) I don't open my emails on a mobile device. I avoid it like the plague. Um, yeah, but 85% of people do, apparently, so, uh, again, pretty straightforward, but make sure you're using responsive HTML, uh, make sure that it looks visually appealing on a mobile device and multiple mobile devices, right? Not just, not just the largest iPhone that's out there. Make sure that it responds to different devices and device sizes, Uh, Make sure you keep your subject line limited to about 30 characters or less so that it shows on that small screen. So subject lines stack on mobile. Obviously you can open up your inbox and see uh, what a good length might be that you would read yourself. And take advantage of that pre-header text to entice readers to open. Uh, Utilize some urgency messaging here or something similar inside the email itself in the body, breaking up the copy into consumable chunks of information so that it's easy to digest on a small device, making sure that, you know, your paragraphs aren't more than a sentence or two. Honestly, what, what are you trying to convey that needs to be longer than that? Um, and making sure that they stack so that copy and words aren't broken up throughout the scroll. Uh, Utilizing buttons over text links to offer more clickable real estate and specifically making sure that the whole button is clickable and adding some white space around the buttons or between links uh, for more manageable clicking. So whether or not you're clicking with your index finger or your thumb, making sure that it's accessible and not near another link that someone might accidentally click or rage click or, you know, just make it easy for someone.
0: The cool thing is is most platforms, I want to say almost all platforms, have the ability to, one, customize the proof. Well, first of all, proof it in a variety of devices. So it could be mobile, tablet, desktop, whatever it might be. But they also have the ability to set variables based on how things appear on mobile versus desktop. Uh, I know just like for the travel boom emails that we do, just for ourselves, we'll have different people copy based on if it's a desktop versus a a mobile device on a desktop you can be a little bit more wordy which is something i typically overdo but for an email i mean for a a mobile device like you said it's literally all you need is a sentence get them hooked in and get them to click so testing that making sure that the 85 percent of people who are going to be opening your email have the experience that you would want them to have if they're actually visiting your property
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what you would be reading in an email, maybe like a newsletter, but I can't honestly see that being necessary for a hotel specifically, Um, unless it's your pre-arrival information. Obviously, that's something that you are going to read through, but otherwise, short snippets of information that are easily digestible and consumable on a mobile device that someone can scroll through and have the option to click through if they want to read more information mm-hmm. on
0: on another page yeah i think if you're doing an amazing job telling a story like we talked about in the the first tip you have you get a little more leeway if it's a really great story but even then think about where people are consuming that email while they're on their phone it's probably not when they're fully paying attention to it it's more of like a passive type read yes. so you know don't overload them. You know, give them a good experience. Yeah,
2: use bullet points if you need to. Uh, break it up, add some white space so that if someone is just skimming and not truly reading, they can take in the information that you're providing.
1: Most definitely. Yeah. Alyssa, well, so why don't you like looking at email on mobile? I
2: actually what makes hate, you part
1: of that 15%?
2: I, I hate mobile devices. I just really do. And I am, you know, prone to scrolling. And I can't break the habit of I've tried. Um, But it's so funny. I also watch videos on silent. I am probably in the minority for a lot of statistics. And I think I'm just a grandma at heart. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know the last time I opened an email app on my phone. Unless I absolutely had to. Like maybe it was on vacation or something. And that's all I had. But I check my email on desktop multiple times throughout the day.
0: So it, is that a, <clears throat> is that just because of the, like from a generational perspective that like you, just, you like the desktop experience and cause like for me, it's kind of a, a mix. Like I'll look at the subject lines on my phone, but I'll rarely consume the email itself. Like I'll look through and say, not important, not important, not, and then if I see something, I'll browse it, and then I typically will mark it as unread. If it's work-related, if it's, I guess, a sale or something, like blah, 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 and then I just move on. Yeah, I
2: don't even open the app at all. And even scrolling social media, I hate words. I hate reading. I'm a skimmer at heart. Like Unless I'm really trying to learn something or like research something, then I will read. But I'm a slow reader. Not, not to say like that makes me sound kind of dumb, but uh, you can't I'll read the can same you? thing multiple times to really make sure that I grasp the concept and retain the information. So often I just skim. Uh, so on social media, I'll sit there with my phone, and whereas like my husband has the volume at level ten, mine's silent, and I'm reading the captions. I'm like, oh, you didn't put <laughs> captions on. Looks like you're not getting any engagement from me. <laughs>
1: I will say that I do video. I typically start it. I'll start it off, start it with no sound. Yeah. Because I don't like this, obviously don't like the sound, especially obviously in public, but even at home, I'm like, mm, I'll, if I'm in, if I'm really interested in it, I'll turn the sound on. But as far as emails, mm-hmm. the emails though, I'd say I'm definitely mostly mobile. I'll go on, I'll definitely check my app multiple times. But do you day. ever,
2: like, do you truly feel as as a consumer, not as a marketer, that email works for you. Is it persuasive <clears throat> ever? And if it is, I'm curious to know what like product.
1: So well
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> when birthday comes around and I get all those emails for free things on my birthday.
2: You're one of those.
1: I'm definitely yeah, I'm definitely going to be saving all those oh, emails for later, for later on. Yeah. <laughs> um but I think maybe through like e-commerce sites, maybe I'll tend to look at it like I've saved something in a cart and I just haven't got back to it. And then, oh, here's an extra whatever. You know, maybe that will entice me. I'd say more so with stuff like maybe food related. I feel like I get more deals there, and so I'm I'm definitely going to be a little more enticed with something as far That's as interesting. I'm I don't think enjoy I subscribe that to any
2: food emails.
0: You know, I think that is kind of it kind of brings us back around to personalization and utilizing AI. So, <clears throat> you know, there's, you know, we have four people on the podcast right now and all of us work a little bit differently. If the system understands that Alyssa doesn't know how to read, you know, it's just going to give her pictures or, you know, little, <laughs> little pictograms of what to do. Uh, whereas Jeremy, he likes food stuff, so he's going to get food stuff. And so I think it's making sure that, your system is robust enough to give people what they want in the form of you could determine
2: that based on how long someone's spending like looking at your email. If I scroll through quickly and just skim to the email, but Jeremy spent an extra two minutes reading all of the copy, give Jeremy the long email. Yeah.
1: Well that's also because I can't read
2: it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It just takes him a long time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, uh None of this matters unless you really uh, monitor your performance. So Jeremy can talk to us a little bit more about important metrics and monitoring your uh, email performance metrics.
1: Yeah, so I mean, this this trend is basically in just an annual trend, um, making sure that you are making decisions based on the data that you're receiving. Um, is going to make your life easier and it's going to make your decision-making as far as the campaigns you're sending out much smarter and more efficient as we've talked about throughout this entire podcast with AI and incorporating AI and all and things like and all that good stuff. Um, So, you know, measuring engagement through clicks and click-through rates and monitoring the health of your lists and with subscribers and bounce rates and using booking revenue to make sure you're working toward achieving your goals are all are all things that you need to be keeping in mind. And that's just some, but I mean, those are some good examples of things that you will be need to, that you should be keeping in mind in terms of monitoring the performance of your actual campaigns.
0: Yeah, I think at no point when you're looking at your, when you're working through your emails that you do a send and you don't then go back and look at your performance. That is, the email that you sent today is going to be the path that we, you, build and send an email for tomorrow? What worked, what didn't, you know, did it resonate? Uh, did it get through the spam filters? You know, looking at all that data is so important because you can't optimize your campaign if you're not looking at the data. And I would probably even go a little bit farther to that than say, uh, you, know, as you're, you're setting up your emails, even from an automated perspective, you go back and look at those as well. Because a lot of times people look at the one-off sends that they do, but they're not necessarily looking at the engagement of their, you know, booking anniversary message to see if that is optimized as it should be. So, but, uh, but yeah, I think those were kind of the big trends that we have at least that's were five of the trends. The cool thing is if you go to the article, there's actually six trends and we left one Bonus out. Bonus trend. So, bonus trip, but you don't get it here. You know why? Because this is our, our clickbait opportunity. You have to click through to see what it is. But um, but yeah, any, anything else that you guys want to add to this before we kind of wrap up the podcast?
2: I don't think so. I think this was a good one. And, you know, obviously email is I don't want to say vastly, but vastly for lack of a better word, unchanged for, you know, years now. Uh, and we just continue to add in new features to different platforms and uh, taking advantage of these trends is what's going to set you apart from the competition because it is an easily accessible channel that is very saturated. So making sure you stand out uh, is, is key.
0: Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Uh, all right. Well, with that being said, we're going to wrap everything up. But before we do, there's a couple of big announcements we want to make. One is we are rolling out our webinar schedule. So we already had one webinar, which went over really, really well earlier this year. And we have a second one, which is going to be part, uh, sponsored by HSMAI South Carolina's chapter. That's on March 27th. If you want to tune into that one, all you have to do is just go to, uh, we'll be sending, be sending an email out for it shortly. And they'll also have it posted on our socials as well. So that'll be talking about the hidden danger of hidden fees. And then later on in the month of March, I believe, I believe on March 15th, we have another webinar that we'd love to have everybody on. And that's going to be talking about ways that a hotelier can drive bookings right now when you're at a period of soft occupancy. So I think both of those would be great for everybody in the industry. So we'd love to have you attend one of those webinars. We also have a lot more research coming out. So we had the 2023 leisure travel trend study last year. We had a hidden fees study. And around the back of that, we also have more data coming out about alternate payments and a hotelier sentiment study coming out here in the next probably 30 days or so. So so stay tuned for that. You should be subscribed to the Travel Boom Marketing emails because email marketing is apparently a big thing, as we talked about today. So if you're not subscribed, go to TravelBoomMarketing.com and just subscribe at the bottom of the website, and then you'll get all this cool information. But if you want anything else related to Travel Boom, including the show notes, Go to TravelBoomMarketing.com, and from there, you'll find everything in the world that you need. Uh, Jeremy, Alyssa, anything else that you guys want to cover, or should we shut this show down?
2: Shut her down.
0: All right. With that being said, thank you very much. Happy hoteling, and we'll see you next time. Travel Boom is out.